But isn't God also merciful? <laughs> That's my business. Um, let us pray. Guide us, O Lord, by your word and the Holy Spirit, that in your light we, might, we may see light and your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Remain standing as we read the scripture from Romans 18 through 23. But before that, real quick, I want to throw something at you. Um, I've been laying it on pretty thick about sinfulness and how sinful you are, right? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've been hearing that. Um, keep that there. But I want you to focus on another aspect of what this creed has said and what's been going on. And it's going to be illuminated in this text. So let's read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Thus is the word of the Lord. Jesus is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay. The text is difficult, but here's the thing. Uh, and I don't mean the book of the Bible. I mean, whenever you hear this word, you read any, any dense theology book, anything that's just a little bit off the surface, just goes a little bit the next notch up, they use this word called revelation, how God reveals himself to his people. And this is what we're talking about here. And, and, and for the last hundred years, this has been the big thing, the big study uh, uh, in, in, in Europe, uh, in Scotland, there's this lecture that happens every year, and it's just about this topic. It's called natural theology. How does God reveal himself in the nature and the world around us? How do we perceive ourselves? And it goes into all of that. But see, we need to understand this text before we understand this creed. And once we understand this creed, then we're going to be able to understand this text, and we're going to be able to understand what happens in our life around that, okay? Make sense? You with me? Taking us on a roller coaster ride. It's going to be fun. Well, we'll start with the image. We'll start with the illustration. Often, we like to think if God is sitting in this chair, right? We like to think of ourselves as like in this manner that we have this ability to walk around, maybe come up and you know, maybe get what kind of cologne is he wearing. Get a sense of who he is. Get to the bottom of it, actually. And maybe even take the chair and kind of get to understand what he's on. This is how, for centuries, they, they proceed to understand God. 
Now this is a, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. Some people believe that this is how they're able to understand God. And I say, I say general, gee, God. Because we see this through uh, multiple religions throughout history. Now this book is the book of Romans, and he's clearly talking to a Roman area. And what do we know about Rome? You know, multiple gods, right? They had multiple gods. And he's speaking to people in a Roman context. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, am I teaching you something you guys did not, were not aware of, that Rome had multiple gods, right? right? And he's, that's what he's talking about. They make them into birds, and they make them all these different animals. And, and so what did Rome do? Rome built a god in, their own, in some sort of image that they could conceptualize. They knew God existed. They had this innate sense that there was something bigger and higher and more powerful than them. And we talked about it in the text, right? But then they made, they made God in their own image. So whenever they kind of perceived who this God was, they could really, they could really only think of a bigger, better version of themselves or some sort of cool God, human, bird, whatever animal or whatever thing hybrid, right? This is really the only thing they could think of. And this, this urge to make God, as they understand it in their own text, is classical. Anyone take a world religions course? Anyone? Anyone know anything about Hinduism? You're not going to get me to preach on Hinduism. That's not what we're going to be talking about here. But anyone know at least a little bit about Hinduism, you know that they have multiple gods with all these different stories and all these things to them, right? Anyone know that? That's them doing this exact same process to, uh, of human, humanly speaking. And, and trust me, I am glossing over much history of religion. and I'm, I'm just trying to keep it fast and quick. But they, they, they got this Hinduism and they looked at it and, and they're trying to make God out of their own image and they, and they kind of form what they understand about this God. Then you go to Buddhism and you see other things like that. Dare I say, Islam does the exact same thing. A wrathful, violent area creates a wrathful, violent God. Is that crazy to think that way? No. Um, my more liberal brothers and sisters in, in Christ might disagree with what I'm saying, but I think that that's true. I think that they fashioned Allah in that way. And this is what I think Paul's talking about. And, and partly this is what I think the creed's talking about. You're sinful. If we go back to the garden, trust me, remember, sin, sin sucks. It's horrible. It's awful. It's not what you were created to be. You were never created to sin. But in the garden, we rebel. We rebelled, and immediately, this relationship between us and God was fractured. Does that make sense? So the pursuit of God, us doing this, was fractured. We never were able to actually, according to the scriptures, accurately able to depict who this God was. Right? Everyone with me? See, this is what we're saying. What we're saying as Christians is, is that we had this relationship broken. Our ability to do this 
bring the chair back again. If you really like the chair as a part of my sermon, I'm bringing it back, so we're not saying goodbye. So, but here's the problem. Since that fracture has existed, for us to know anything about God is on God's control. Meaning this. You can't, I can't, not a single one of us can say, I love the snow, boom. I see, I see God when I look out at the snow. You just won't be able to do that. Until what? God first comes upon you. Makes himself known to you. Shares himself to you. We see this in the scriptures. Did Noah build an ark? And then God said, hey, that's a nice ark. Take two animals. No, did he? God made himself known to Noah. We see it again in Abraham. Hey, wow, you're a faithful man. Take your wife. Go up to uh, the land which I give to you. Did he do that? No. Abraham was just living his life until God, boom, came into his life. God is revealing himself to us. God is slowly, in a long way, revealing himself to us. Make sense? Everyone with me? This is the concept of Christian revelation, that God is the one who reveals himself to us. But see, this is where we go wrong. Forget all the stuff about Hinduism, Roman gods, whatever these other religions that we talked about. Let's talk about Christianity because I think what we do is we do the exact same thing. We think we know exactly what God is going to do. And we know. And we start putting God. We start putting flesh upon how God reveals himself to us. And we start making what the scriptures would call what? I'll give you, I'll come at it a different way, and maybe I'll speak a little bit louder. Well, God clearly wouldn't allow us to do that. God clearly wouldn't do that. He only does this. This, this is what God will definitely do. This is the way God works. This is the way God is. Whatever this may be. It's called an idol. We develop idols all the time. We're great at idol making. We are all got PhDs in idol making. Right? We're all beautiful at it. And in our own eyes, we make beautiful idols. We make gorgeous ones. We make things. And then what we do is, is that we go and we take this idol and we set it up and we baptize that idol. And we take that idol and say, clearly God wants this. I can get into trouble. I could. I could start stepping out. Start naming idols. But dare I say, if I don't look at the speck in my, in my brother's eye and not look at the plank in my own, I could call your idols out. I could call this church's idols out. I could call this city's idols out. Maybe. Maybe I would problem is, is I got a plank in my own eye as well. I got idols that are plaguing my heart and my mind. So do you. Because you see, this is what we do. Clearly God could not do that. Whoa! 
That's the last thing you want to say about God. That's the last thing. You say, clearly God could not do that. I think there's only a few things that we could say. Clearly God will not sin. And that's pretty much the end of it. Because God has done many other things. He's even used sin to his glory. Do you know that? He's even used sin. It says in the scriptures, all things give glory to God according to his will and purpose. All things. All you have to do is listen to a story of a testimony of someone who's been very loved and now loves Jesus. He's used sin to humble me. He used sin to humble you. So, of course, whenever we say clearly God will not do that, what we're doing is saying what the thing that he will not do is the thing that he, what I think he's going to do. Clearly, that's what God's going to do. This is the thing, whatever it may be. I'm, not, I'm trying to be ambiguous about the idol. But see, here's the problem. Here's what goes into all of that. This is that we begin to think that we perceive God like every other religion perceives God. Let's go back to verse 20, please. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things they have made. So they are without, they are not, <clears throat> rather, so they are without excuse. They're talking about punishment. They're talking about sin. Yes, that creed starts talking about evil and sin. But I'm, I'm trying to get us to understand the concept of this divine nature, this eternal power is made perceived to us very clear. Sometimes. Sometimes sin creeps in there. And we say clearly God will not do that. And so what we do is that we've been given access to the power of the Holy Spirit. That we think that we are ones who walk around and are able to perceive God like this. You're able to go as if you are removed from God in some way, shape, or form. And as if you have objectivity from God. I'm saying some words here, but I'm going to try to flesh that out. As if you think you can understand who God is apart from God himself. You see, that's the problem. A God who became man, never will man be able to understand him apart from God allowing you to understand him without pursuing a relationship. So here is how pursuing God, what it looks like. You don't walk around. No, no. What you do, perceive God only and only from being upon God, standing upon him. I'm standing on the chair. And you can only understand him as much as he will allow you to understand him. As you look around at the chair and you understand who he is and what God is doing, only from this vantage point will you be able to understand who he is when you rest all of who you are upon him. Make sense? You're not this objective observer removed from all other elements looking at him like this. No. You can only understand him from the fact that you actually rest upon him completely. What's that device called, Mike? Lavalier. Lavalier fell right out of my pocket. This is the position in which we stand. You rest not on your own abilities. In your ability to understand him, he doesn't care about how sinless you are. Meaning that, meaning this. He reveals himself to those who are less sinful. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. He reveals himself as he wills. He makes himself known to those who he makes known. Right? 
The problem is, is that we think that we can uh, objectively understand God and understand what He's up to, apart from the fact and apart from recognizing that you have nothing, no abilities, no strength, no will, no power outside of what He has already given you. Make sense? So your ability to pray, your ability to understand the Scriptures, your ability to be moved to tears when you see His moving is a gift of God given to you. The problem is this, and I said it through three weeks ago, when you find yourself in the midst of guilt and shame and anguish, that only comes in about your sin. It comes in because you think that you've had a little bit of your holiness and a little bit of your righteousness on your own ability, on your own strength. I'll talk, walk through that again. You have nothing, not even your holiness, not even... Think of the one holy thing you did today. That might be hard for me. It might be hard for some. But think of the holy thing you did today. Your ability to do that was not out of your own ability. Your ability to do that was out of Jesus Christ for what he has done for you. Okay? With me on that? The moment you sin, you can say, oh, gosh, I know. I, gosh, I think I'm better than that. Wasn't I better than that? Aren't I a better Christian than that? No. The problem is, is you think it's by you being a better Christian that you are saved, or rather, that you have your holiness. That God sees you as a list of all the holy things that you've done. Whenever, when he sees you, he sees Jesus Christ. When God the Father sees you, he does not see these lists of good things that you do. He sees Jesus. So you say, what happens when I sin? You talk to Jesus about that. You talk to him. You work that type of thing out. But you see, whenever you perceive your own sinfulness, and you're like, well, I did these good things, and whenever I sinned, I kind of negated those good things. Wasn't I better than that? Aren't I a better Christian than that? Wrong question. Wrong question. As I said, what my professor always told me, you should never be surprised by your depravity. You cannot live up to the standard which God has left, as God expects. You just can't. And the moment you think that your prayer is what makes you holy, or you're reading the scriptures is what makes you holy, uh, coming to church is what makes you holy, then you're getting it all out of order. You don't understand the law then. You don't understand what these things are for. These things are for to bless you. You are not called to hate each other. You're not called to be angry with each other or be uh, uh, to live in sin. You see, we need to start re recognizing that there's not a single bit of my ability, my weight, so to speak, using this analogy, there's not a single bit of my weight resting upon any one of my feet. Everything of who I am rests upon the Father. And anything that I have rests upon the fact that He has given to me. Deacons, is it okay that I'm standing on this chair? Is it okay? Are you cool with this? And the moment we say, God can't do this, and I say this after you've been forgiven, I say, the, the moment you think that you, 
that what I'm telling you is not true, the moment you think that you're not forgiven is the moment you begin to think that you're doing it out of your own ability. He hates your sin. And in spite of that, he still loves you. And he still gives you grace. He still forgives you. He doesn't want you to sin. He hates that. But he still loves you. And he's giving you the power to get out of it. He's working on your heart. Just like he's giving it the power to understand. See, this, this whole uh, concept of natural theology for me, it's, it all comes down to that. And here's why. God, Christ is continually coming into my life. He comes and comes and comes again into my life. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not God was with us. He continually presses upon my heart. Much like a romance story, he continually draws you and he romances you so that you don't want to sin anymore. So you don't live. Rather, you live the way you want to live and the way you want to live lines up with what he wants for you. That is the slow process of how we perceive our God. It's not, as a matter of fact, you live a certain level of laws and you live certain right things. And then once you live those laws and those right things, you then will be able to understand God better than those who are down there. You know what that is? That's certainly not Christianity. You know that? That is not at all Christianity. It's Buddhism. You will come to a higher plane of consciousness once you live in a certain way. What I'm telling you is this. Our God is telling, is continually coming into your life and he's pressing upon your heart and he's working on your heart and he's softening it. And he's, it's like a love story that he's like this, this grand. I don't always like doing this analogy because then we could take it too far and it gets creepy. So I'm sorry, but I, it's the only thing I can think of right now. It's the only thing that comes to my mind when I'm preparing this sermon. This is just like this, this grand love story. This man who is God is coming in and he's trying to woo you to love him. Not because he wants something from you, but because he wants you. He wants all of you. And he wants to spend time with you. And he wants to continually grow in his love and relationship, your love and relationship with him. He wants these things. And he's going to do it slowly and arduously. And it's a wooing and a beautiful process of romance. But right now, we make idols. Clearly God cannot do that. And what, how, how does a Christian, what does Christians do? We don't make, we don't call them idols, but we call them law. And we create new law. Well, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to dress like that. That's a, that's a safe one, you know, because we're pretty comfortable with how we dress. But you know, as well as I know, the churches, there's churches out there. If you come in off the street wearing jeans, you'd be told about it. Right? That's law. That is law. You put a hedge between who can come and worship in your place. But let me ask you something. If we keep using this analogy of plank in our own eye, we have law here. We keep law upon law here. We create idols here. I say we tear them down and love Jesus. What's the two greatest commandments? Let's say this is the only law. It's the only law. Let us love Jesus. 
Let us love Jesus. Let us love him. And out of that love will become, will come holiness. But by loving Jesus also means that you will trust his grace when you do sin. You will trust that you are forgiven when you fall short. And that, you see, is the perception of who Jesus is. A God who is present, not static, and he's not past tense. I hope you've always heard me say that. God was with us. No, he is with us. He is present, and he is active, and he's wooing you. Don't turn him into something else that he's not. Don't turn him into some sort of uh, ticket to heaven. He loves you. He daily comes into your life over and over and over again. And he's wooing you. Right? Is this good news to you? So I will not try to perceive God out of my own abilities. I will rest upon the Lord and let him come to me. Let him show me who he is. Reveal his face to me. You know the story of Moses, right? Where he puts, puts, uh, God puts him in the rock. Right? You, you know the story? I'll, I'll state it real quick. God says, let me see, uh, Moses says, let me see your face, let me see your face, let me see your face, let me, I want to see you, I want to see you. Beautiful stuff, right? I mean, this is this heart, this beautiful heart. I want to see you. God says, okay. Shoves him in. You will not allow him to see his face. There's beautiful reasons why that, that is. And he puts him away. And then he reveals himself in a way of walking away. This beautiful image of just seeing his back is all Moses can handle. Is all Moses can take in. That is a small little microcosm of how Jesus, he only reveals himself to you as you need it in the moment, as you need it at that point. And you want to say, why don't I have it all right now in this moment? Well, because you're sinful and you can't handle it. You can't handle to hear how sinful you are. If you had that list... It would break your heart. And you would immediately think you're not worthy because you're not. He makes you worthy. Only through him that you're worthy. You see, this is the beautiful thing. He reveals himself to you on his timing and his ability, not out of some sort of idol, not out of some sort of man-made structure. I think that's good news. Is that good news to you guys? Is that good news? Yes. Yes. So I'll wait upon the Lord. Will you? His time. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we know you are present. Keep coming into our lives, forcing yourself in, pushing in, showing yourself. So that, not out of our abilities, but because of who you are, we would be able to point to you and say, Lord, not look at some sort of tree, snow, bird, whatever, but look at you. Because you have pressed it upon our hearts. We thank you, Lord. It's in your son's holy name. Amen. Let us stand and read the Apostles' Creed together.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by his power of the Holy Spirit, born in the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, and died, and He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the union of saints, and the sins. 